0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor. This is session number 175 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. And we come back to the Council of Elrond. I forgot to point out uh, that last week... Was session number fifty officially on uh, the Council of Elrond? Uh, so, although we have had to skip a few weeks for various uh, holiday and travel-related reasons and that kind of thing, um, we've um, we've almost done a full fifty-two weeks worth of uh, exploring the Lord of the Rings. So next week will be a full year's worth of uh, of uh, of classes. So that uh, you know, sessions discussing this chapter. So. Uh, that that'll be that'll be fun. Uh, just a quick reminder before I start about MythMoot. I did a big announcement about MythMoot last week. Uh, MythMoot eight is now currently registering. Um, we are planning right now. We're definitely going to be doing a fully digital moot. Um, uh, we have both our our mootcast option for folks who can't make it live but want to make sure they can get access to recordings and can also watch the sessions live if they have a chance. And the moot hub, which is the full interactive uh opportunity to sort of hang out with us uh for the full weekend um so there's moot cast and there's moot hub we are still also considering we may add an in-person if it's possible we don't yet know for sure whether it's going to be possible but we may add an in-person element as well in which case folks who have signed up will have the opportunity to upgrade so we will um We will see. We will see about that. But we are certainly beginning our enrollment with the digital only, and and the digital will certainly be available no matter what happens. So um, we are... um uh uh looking forward to that. Uh one way or the other, Mythmoot 8 is gonna be fantastic. So go to signumuniversity.org slash Mythmoot and you can find all of the information, including the registration links, uh the more information about the theme, where to send uh proposals and what proposals should be like, uh lists of our guests, our speaker, our guests of honor, and all that kind of thing. Um so Uh, You can find all that on our web page, and I hope you guys will be able to join us. All right. Um, We have returning tonight to the vexed question of Elrond and the squirrels uh, that we were (laughs) discussing last time. Yeah, Arden Crayon says the Council of Elrond will outlast the pandemic. Yes, I'm not sure if when we began the Council of Elrond that would have been an encouraging thought or not, but it certainly... Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps it will. Um, but uh, anyway, um, so we're going to we're going to return to the scrolls question. Now, several of you uh, responded to my challenge to sort of think through and offer some suggestions about this. Uh, I, I really liked several uh, of your uh, responses. Um, in uh, particular, I know that um, uh, Flammifer was talking about. Elrond kind of stepping in and breaking the very significant silence that nobody else really wanted to step in and break. You know that Gandalf's big uh, rhetorical flourish at the end of his uh, talk there was almost too effective, uh, and nobody really wanted to be the first one to step in and uh, 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 say something there. Um, I really uh, liked Eliza's comment. It's 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 long. I don't have a quote for you because it's it's a long comment. I uh, I I. I Sort of commend it to you to read, um, but her basic point was that she was she was feeling that Elron's uh, initial stepping into his comments, and I can advance to this is the slide we were looking at last time, um, does a really good job of kind of bringing things together. Um, you know, we have had a very large info dump um, between uh, the long story by Gandalf, right, including some very momentous news, like, you know, Saruman, it turns out, is a traitor. Um, and then, of course, there's also the recollection of the entire book one story, right, and Frodo's adventures along the way, which, remember, the rest of the council has just heard um, for the first time. Um, so they we have an advantage, in fact, over the rest of the council, because we've already had that over a longer period of time, whereas they've just gotten, the, you know, the download of all that story on top of all these other stories. So that he's kind of um, uh, processing uh, these things together for everybody and helping everybody to uh, to kind of bring things together. So how this works as a sort of summary uh, uh, of, of everything that's come together. And Eliza was particularly pointing out how he manages in doing this, you know, sort of... Um, I still think it's it's a kind of disarmingly rambling uh so it doesn't say you know he's not like doing hard firing bullet points or something like that right it's a it's kind of a gentle um meandering way of going about recapping things uh and but but he doesn't just recap. I agree with Eliza about this, and we were talking about this a little bit, like how he he hits on not only um you know. Touching on the significance of Saruman's betrayal, uh, but also hinting towards the dangers of taking up the ring. Right with the um, uh, both with the reference to the fact that such falls and betrayals, alas, have happened before. Like we should all be on guard against. Uh, treachery and potential treachery, but also, of course, the general injunction, it is perilous to study too deeply the arts of the enemy for good or ill, right? So, um, you know, so Saruman's betrayal, uh, the danger involved here, the potential for betrayal, and in that same paragraph, oh, and P.S., aren't hobbits really interesting? Isn't it interesting that both Bilbo and Frodo, both of these hobbits present, have had the ring you know, comparatively unscathed, uh, for decades, right? Um, Bilbo had it for decades. Frodo has had it for eh, a little under two decades. Um, but he also, you know, brought it all this way. Um, there this is this is most strange right but also in the context of the sto- of the references to Saruman falling to evil the danger of other people falling to e- to evil and bad things can happen you know when you really deal with the uh you know the power of the enemy um in that context that stuff all does really come uh come together to- so again her argument was it's not just that it's rambling it's also that he is uh, he is, in fact, moving things along and setting up the ultimate conclusion that he's going to come to. Um, and then we come to the squirrels, right? Then we come to his, his his retrospective on how the Western lands used to be back in the old days when he wandered around them um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, and the strangeness, of course, of uh, Frodo's journey. Um, and here, a thing that I would add is that I think the important... It seems to me that one of the really important elements here uh, is the retrospective in time. And this, to me, is where the squirrel in particular comes in. Of course, you know, he doesn't just randomly start talking about squirrels. He brings up the, the squirrels in the context of talking about how large the old forest used to be, how the old forest is only but a very small, shrunken piece of what used to be a massive forest that stretched from the Shire to Dunland, west of Isengard. And by measuring that in squirrels, he is really emphasizing how totally uninhabited it was, right? You know, this is, this is a glimpse of a pre modern world, right? When there were no, none of these nations that now exist, none of these people, the world was different back then. Um, And it seems to me that he is recalling the ancient world for a purpose that is relevant to um, that is relevant to the, Purpose that's in front of them here in the council, and I would I would emphasize two things about that. One is I would emphasize that he is sort of showing the continuity. Yes, things have changed, but as much as things have changed, uh, where now the the you know the the forest no longer stretches that far, and um, um, things are very different, and yet um, there is much that is still the same. There are still points of contact with that old world, right? Um, Tom Bombadil. He knew Tom Bombadil. He has heard of the Barrow Whites. He knows this forest. He knew it when it was much larger. Right. So the times have changed. And, uh, you know, the old wild things are shrinking and reducing. The old world is is in retreat and is diminishing everywhere. Right. Part of what he's doing here is kind of acknowledging the ages are moving forward, time is moving forward, things aren't what they were, things are moving towards a new age, what is going to be happening in this new age? There's there's a sense, of course, in which the decision that they have to make really kind of bears on the speech that Saruman made. Remember, Saruman, you know, the old days, the elder days are gone, right? The middle days are passing, the new days are coming. He wasn't wrong. Saruman is exactly right about that. That is what's happening. And Elrond sees the same thing, I think. Elrond feels the same thing. All these old things, all the, the old world, his world, the old world that he knows from an Elvish perspective. And as Eliza was also reminding us, um, he's talking to Elves. There's a lot of Elves in the room, right? The Elves really dominate the room. So another thing that Elrond is kind of doing here is putting this all in an Elvish context for everybody. Well for the elves in the room anyway, which is most of them. Um, So anyway, his world, the old world, is fading, and it's in decline, and it's passing, and what's going to come next? What's going to succeed it? How is it, you know, what is the relationship between the new world and the old world going to be? Is the new world going to come in and just wipe out the old world? That's what would happen if Sauron wins, right? Or what's going to happen? So uh, there are several, um, there are several, ways in which his recollections of the old world really are relevant, especially if you're an elf, again, as Eliza was reminding us, um, especially if you're an elf, remembering that and not, not just, oh, let's, you know, talk about the old days randomly for a little while, but let's remember them in the context, even now, right? These things that we've seen. The Barrow Whites and Tom Bombadil, right? The Barrow Whites and Tom Bombadil are both from the ancient world, both uh, the good and the evil, right? Both both good guys and bad guys uh, from the old world. Like that old struggle that ha- was going on in the old is still going on, right? Um, and yet we're going somewhere, right? One way or the other. Um, you could, I mean, I wouldn't extend it exactly this far. I think this is going past what Elrond is actually saying here. But I can't help but think of Gandalf's words, that he's going to say in Minas Tirith later on, right? For good or ill, the days that you have known are gone, right? And to some extent, I wonder if Elrond is not trying to suggest a similar thing to the other elves around the table here at the council, right? For good or ill, the days that we have known are gone. Remember, look around you guys, look around you, fellow elves, right? The ancient world that we have known is diminishing, Um. It's, you know, we're we're transitioning. Saruman was right. The Elder Days are gone. The Middle Days are passing. The New Days, the Younger Days are coming. Um, What are those days going to be? Are we going to get, of course, what in the end we do get that is a, a, you know, that dominated by Aragorn's regime, which is going to remember with respect the Elder Days and make sure that their memory does not die. Um, That's one version. Old World is still going to pass away. Right in that world, it's still happening, but it's going to happen well. Um, or, or is it going to be Sauron's world? Right? Is it going to be the world given to us in that tiny little glimpse that we get um, in thoughts about the words of the mouth of Sauron, him ruling, uh, you know, as uh, as the overlord of the West from Isengard, right? Um, and what that world could possibly look like. So, again, one way or the other, that old world is passing away, but What's that going to look like? And that's what's hanging in the balance here, right? So I, I I do think, and but here's another relevance of his recollection of the older world, and that is, it's not quite dead, right? It's not it's it's not dead yet. Um, it uh it's still involved, right? Both sides, both in the ancient evil of the Barrowites and the ancient good of you know. Uh, of Tom Bombadil, whom he had forgotten uh, until his story is told again, have emerged, right? Both of them have emerged and taken a part in the story of the ring as it's been unfolded already just in the last few weeks, right? Um, And that again shows the times that we're in. It shows the significance of the, um, you know, the statement that Gandalf just made. Here we are and here is the ring. What shall we do with it? Right. Um, without being putting quite so much pressure on people uh, as Gandalf does. So I think that those are, so uh, Eliza, thank you for your comment. I thought those were some excellent uh, observations. I added a few, but uh, you, you had some excellent observations there. Um, and that strikes me as exactly correct. Um, I, I'm not trying to downplay the fact that I still find this a slightly comically rambling transition on Elrond's part. But, Eliza, it was exactly my my kind of impulse, my, my sort of instinct. You know, my first impulse was kind of to chuckle at Elrond's expense. I'll be honest, right? Um, but I wasn't convinced, and I said so last week. I wasn't convinced that this is merely incompetence, either on Elrond's part or on Tolkien's part. Um, and I think that that's... Um, Uh, I I do think that we can see some evidence of that here, Um, as well as what he transitions into, um, which is um, uh, which is an immediate deliberation. He actually is is going to leverage this second and most digressive paragraph in which by the time he's reciting the old names of Tom Bombadil, it sounds like he's completely left the path right that like he's totally lost the thread of what they were supposed to be talking about and yet he hasn't because it is that itself which is used which he uses as a transition into the action into the the meat of the entire council let's decide what to do with the ring right and he transitions into that by saying he is a strange creature but maybe I should have summoned him to our council um So let's uh, move forward. He would not have come, said Gandalf. Could we not still send messages to him and obtain his help? asked Aristor. It seems to me that he has a power even over the ring. No, I should not put it so, said Gandalf. Say rather that the ring has no power over him. He is his own master. But he cannot alter the ring itself, nor break its power over others. And now he is withdrawn into a little land within bounds that he has set though none can see them, waiting perhaps for a change of days, and he will not step beyond them. But within those bounds nothing seems to dismay him, said Aristor. Would he not take the ring and keep it there, forever harmless? No, said Gandalf, not willingly. He might do so, if all the free folk of the world begged him, but he would not understand the need, and if he were given the ring, he would soon forget it, or or most likely throw it away. Such things have no hold on his mind." He would be a most unsafe guardian, and that alone is answer enough okay um, uh, Michael, I agree um, that um, that's a really interesting question. His bounds were once wider right that um, uh, that seems really really interesting uh, a really important. Uh, implication there, right? Um, What we're told, what Gandalf says, right? Now he is withdrawn into a little land within bounds that he has set, though none can see them. Um, I suspect that that means, um, right, Lupilia says, if his bounds were the old forest, which used to be bigger, then it makes sense. Um, Yeah, what it sounds to me like is that the bounds are new you know, he, he has withdrawn into a little land within bounds that he has set, right? So he has set bounds. Um, the tense there strikes me as very important, right? Gandalf there talking about the setting of boundaries for Tom Bombadil, um, setting of bounds. Gandalf uses the present perfect tense, bounds that he has set. Present perfect means that the helping verb, right? The verb to have uh, is in the present tense, which means uh, all perfect tenses indicate an action which is complete. And the tense of the helping verb uh, tells you when is the action complete. Is it something that was complete in the past? Is it something that is complete as of now? Or is it something that shall be complete in the future? Right? So that's the difference between had set, has set, and will have set. Right? Gandalf uses present tense. Present tense perfect, rather, within bounds that he has set, as if Tom Bombadil has only just now or in the very recent past set these boundaries for himself, these bounds, right? Um, so it doesn't say, you know, he's withdrawn into a little land within bounds that he had set ages ago, right? Um, Tom Bombadil might well have set ages, uh, set them ages ago. And so, Lupilia, thinking about your your very sensible comment about the old forest, um, It's not just that he's always had these bounds, but those, you know, the bounds were always the edge of the forest and the forest has shrunk and so, so has his bounds. It doesn't sound like that's quite the situation. Um, The situation seems to be that now he is withdrawn. That's a recent thing. And he has set bounds for himself. And from this, I take... The, what seems to me the logical conclusion is that in older days like maybe when elrond knew him in the past he didn't have the same bounds um yes he's retreated into the fortress of bombitude belongsman that's exactly it um i think that he it sounds like he used to he used to wander more um he used to wander more widely than he did now he has for whatever reason set bounds for himself though none can see them and he will not step beyond them why waiting perhaps for a change of days therefore implying that it's it's the changing of the days it's as things go and the older world declines and stuff in the context of the change that is happening to the world he has restricted his bounds. He's restricted himself. Tom Bombadil has. He no longer wanders the world. He no longer sees all the things. And right as likely a bot says on Twitch, he's married now. You know, so he's uh, he's settled down. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Now I I hear you. There's several people who are saying that um, uh he is you know recent what is recent to Tom Bombadil, um. Agreed, but remember, this is not to Tom Bombadil, it's to Gandalf. Gandalf is the one talking here, right? Um, And it's Gandalf who is using words like now and has set um, uh, that suggest that the setting of his bounds is a fairly recent thing. Um, And if Gandalf considers it a fairly recent thing, um, I think it's likely to have been quite recent indeed. Um, So... um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I know that you guys are at least half joking when you're talking about him getting married to Goldberry and settling down and his wandering days being over. Um, but, you know, I, I, Tri- Trifle was just saying, uh, I'd wonder about how close... Um, the time of setting those bounds in his marriage to Goldberry are, she seems to be tied very closely to the river. Yeah. I mean, I think there might be some reality to that. Right. I mean, he is, um, he's got in-laws now, right? (laughs) The river is his, is his in-law. Um, and he's, he is, it seems very possible. It seems very possible, uh, that, um, uh, he is, restricting himself to the Withy window Valley because the river Withy window is his, is his mother-in-law, you know? Um, you know, he's, uh, this is, he's, he's, he's joining his wife's family there. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't th- and I, I don't get any impression. I don't feel bad for it, Michael, I, or, uh, Emma Thorne, rather. Um, I I think that he is uh, I I mean I know the whole mother-in-law thing um but um uh but yeah I mean I think that he is um and he seems happy where he is but but again I that that that, that, that those things do seem to me to be connected um uh, and I wouldn't even be sure that the connection doesn't go in the other direction that is to say I think there may be a non coincidental relationship perhaps now this is advanced wildness of speculation on my part. Okay, just context for what I'm about to say. But could there be a causal relationship between uh, Tom Bombadil's getting married and as Gandalf says, the change of days, right? Um, Is it, maybe there's not an either or to the question, has he restricted himself within these narrower bounds just because he got married? Or is he doing it because the world is changing around him? Maybe it's both. Maybe that's why he settled down and chose to restrict himself to this area, right? Because he felt, you know, the the two things, I mean, why did Tom get married after being, you know, a, a carefree bachelor for countless millennia, right? Um, so, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so no, I I think Farmer Maggot goes into the forest. I feel pretty confident of that. Um, also, remember that Farmer Maggot is not far from the river, which connects with the Withy Windle. Um, and the uh, implication, I think, the 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 River Withy Windle itself is part of Tom's bounds, um, as evidenced from the, um, as evidenced from the poem, uh, Bombadil Goes Boating, which is a late poem, of course, that was written in the 60s. Um, it's, of course, published in The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, the poetry collection that Tolkien published in the early 60s, 1962, I want to say. Um, and uh, it's one of the, most of the poems in that collection, of course, are poems that he wrote much earlier. Some of them he revised freshly for that collection, but most of them are very old uh, poems. Um, And, um, um, and he, but the, 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 this, this, the, the sequel Tom Bombadil poem, Bombadil Goes Boating, um, is, uh, um, is a late poem. Like, that's one of the, one of the small numbers of poems that he actually composed afresh for that 1962 or 64 collection, um, forgetting the date. Um, somebody can... Correct me on the date there. Um, but yeah, in that um, in that poem, Tom Bombadil himself boats down the River Withy Windle um, to the Brandywine and goes to visit Farmer Maggot at Farmer Maggot's house. Um, so the implication is that um, uh, that his bounds do include... At least you know that area right around where the Withywindle and uh, and and the Brandywine join. Um, so uh, so yeah. So that's that's uh, that's apparently at least part of Tolkien's later conception. It's not part of this story, of course. Um, but um, but anyway, the point is, I certainly do not think it. The fact that he knows uh, Farmer Maggot implies that his bounds are like just within the last couple of years necessarily. Um, yeah, uh, Lupilia. I think he and Goldberry may well be really in their honeymoon uh, uh, phase. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's an interesting question. Bricktails. Bricktail says, do his bounds expand after the events uh, of the Lord of the Rings? Um, uh, they might. It's conceivable that they do. Uh, a change of days does come, but I don't think that kind of change of days. Um, I, I think that the, the, I'm not hundred percent sure what exactly a change of days, which will enable Tom Bombadil to remove the bounds that he set on himself, what that's going to look like. Um, I don't think the passing into the fourth age is going to count. I don't think that it's going to be open season, you know, on travel for Tom Bombadil. Um, You know, that we're going to see Tom Bombadil skipping down the streets of Minas Tirith in the Fourth Age. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, But, um, yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, so... um, There's only one thing I can think of when I think about the change of days. Like, the only answer that I can think of to the question, what would a change of days have to look like in order for Tom Bombadil to leave his bounds and travel abroad? And I think that the answer... Yeah, when the world is mended, Michael Tobias, is a good answer to that question. And I was thinking the same thing, essentially. Uh, You're right to quote Tom Bombadil in saying that, um, till the world is mended. Um, But what I was thinking of, um, Michael, I was thinking about Treebeard's uh, song. Well, the song Treebeard Sings, the elf song that Treebeard Sings. Um, that, um, That time to come when both the innocent wives shall find a land where both their hearts may rest um uh you know that that time when goadriel says to treebeard that perhaps they might meet again um in restored Beleriand that time sounds to me like the change of days that is likely to need to come um and michael i don't think you and i are disagreeing right i think when the world is mended is exactly when that's going to be um, the change of days I think that Gandalf is pointing to is going to come when there's a new heaven and a new earth I mean it's going to come in Arda restored basically um, and um, uh, so until then I think until the end of Arda you know as we know it Tom, uh, Tom Bombadil is not going to change uh, his bounds um, and he's not going to step beyond them um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. That's exactly, Trifle, what you were saying, too. You were also remembering Galadriel's line there. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, um, yep. Yeah, yeah. um, I hear you, Rachel. But Rachel Port is recalling um, the, uh, um, the line when Treebeard says to Aragorn... When Aragorn tries to say that, you know, what, basically when he's told that there's going to be more, um, uh, more room for his search, right? And Treebeard says, well, no, you know, um, uh, there's going to be too many men around, right? It's going to be hard uh, to move around. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Interesting. Dracon Tarachne, I really, really like that. Um, Dracon Tarachne is thinking about Frodo's spontaneous uh, poem about Goldberry. Um, springtime and summertime and spring again after. Um, uh, and uh, Dracon Tarachne says, you know, Tom has retreated into his little realm because the world is the autumn or winter of its life, and... Um, so his role is not too prominent currently, but if the world's youth comes again and notice Dragon Taracni, it's 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 um, uh, the um, eternal youth. Right. Springtime and summertime and spring again after without going through autumn and winter. Right. Um, when we come to the world. Uh, so meeting Goldberry is to Frodo like a glimpse of that world. Right. The world of springtime and summertime and spring again after. Um but that time, which does sound to me like arta restored or arta remade, um, is I think gonna I th- the days are gonna have to change that significantly. I think for this to for this to happen, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, heebie uh, jeebie, and uh, Matt also much earlier on had been pointing out the same thing. Uh, being reluctant to leave the previous slide behind, thinking about Elrond's reference to summoning him, right? Perhaps I should have summoned him to this council. Um, Which, of course, to which one answer, as I think some of you were saying last week, as I seem to recall, um, isn't it odd that Elrond is saying, maybe I should have summoned him when earlier on he was saying, I didn't summon anybody. Um, But, um, so on the one hand, there's that objection already to him saying maybe I should have summoned Tom Bombadil. It's like, well, maybe you should have seen this coming at all. Um, didn't you say you didn't see this coming, that you didn't summon anybody? Um, but, um, but I think actually that that... Um, uh, I think that that seems to me to suggest that... Um, to lay a particular stress upon Tom Bombadil, as indeed this follow-up conversation is going to do, right? Tom Bombadil, he's not talking about asking Tom Bombadil to attend, you know, for him to contribute on the same level as, like, Legolas or Glowin or Bilbo, right? Like, maybe we should have gotten Tom Bombadil's wisdom, you know, on this. No, he's talking about summoning Tom Bombadil as a potential solution to the problem, right? Um, Again, not just summoning him to the council, but summoning, him, you know, bringing him in as the answer to their problems, right? Um, and um, so that's why I think it's a different context and why it's not necessarily really a contradiction when he said, I didn't call you, I didn't summon you, you know, I didn't gather you guys all together. Um, uh, you know, you've been called here, but not by me. Um, and, uh so I think that his reference to summoning, I don't think heebie-jeebie, as you were suggesting before, you know, wondering about before, it does not seem to me to suggest, like, domination on Elrond's part, right? That he's going to, like, um, you know, attempt to constrain Tom Bombadil to come, um, as I think is evidenced by Gandalf's response. He would not have come. Right? You could have invited him, but he wouldn't have come, even if you had invited him, right? Um, it's not going to work. Um and so I think that that seems to me to sort of suggest um that um he doesn't uh he, he he's wasn't intending to constrain Tom Bombadil. Um just to ask him uh, to ask him to be present because he seems to be a potential solution. Um JJ, I liked your comment earlier on uh when you were saying um uh that uh they could have just sung the ho tom Bombadil, tom bombadillo verse if Elrond didn't mind a hole in the wall, right? Um, uh, yeah, potentially. Um, Sam says, can we, uh, can we gather from this that Gandalf knows Tom at least a little bit better than Elrond, you mean? Um, yeah. It, Gandalf speaks with authority here. Right. Elron does say, as Cook of Wooten Minor was just reminding us that um uh, that Elron forgot about Tom Bombadil, right? He's kind of been off Elrond's um uh radar screen. Um but um he uh yeah, he's certainly been out out, out and about in the world more recently than Elrond, Definitely, definitely. Um but um But I think it's not only that here, too. I think that Gandalf—I mean, Gandalf is speaking—he's speaking as the Tom Bombadil authority in the room, right? I mean, he's the one answering the questions about Tom Bombadil, and nobody doubts him, right? No one is being like, well, that's Gandalf's opinion. I think Tom Bombadil—I think, you know, I know Tom Bombadil at least as well as Gandalf does. And I say, you know, we're um, um, not—we're not— we're not thinking about that here. Does the summoning song function outside of Tom's domain? I don't think so. Because again, he's set bounds because it's not a summoning, right? It's not an incantation. It's not magic. Um, it's the way that you get his attention. And he came to Frodo because he said he would, if Frodo called to him in his, within his bounds, right? Um, Yes, Michael Tobias, I agree. Very few go in for Bombadil lore, an obscure branch of knowledge, right? Uh, but I happen to have made a study of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's come back to some of the details that they give about Tom Bombadil here. Um, Aristor makes the controversial statement, it seems that he has a power even over the ring. Um and it's easy to see where Aristor is coming from here. That Tom Bombadil could put the ring on his finger and not disappear. Suggests that he is stronger. Um, and it's especially interesting given the the sort of the way in which Gandalf in particular talks about the ring. Right. You know, you just like you, you can't mess with that. I mean, it's it's, uh, um, you know, he's not going to hold the ring. He's going to try to avoid even holding the ring uh, as much as he possibly can, or touching it, right? Um, And yet, is going to, like, flick it up in the ear and, like, pretend to pull it from behind your ear and all that kind of thing, right? I mean, he, uh, um, he is flippant with the ring. I can understand the statement. It seems that he has a power even over the ring. Gandalf's correction right? Say rather that the ring has no power over him. He is his own master. Um, uh, and this is an important distinction, right? Tom Bombadil is master and that tracks, right? That's what, that's what, uh, Tom himself has said. That's what Goldberry tells Frodo when Frodo asks the question. Um, uh, Well, see, Michael Tobias, I feel really uncertain about answering that question, because uh, he says, are we to suppose that Tom making it disappear was sleight of hand rather than enchantment? Look, when you're Tom Bombadil, what's the difference? Right? I mean, um... What's the difference between, you know, one kind of magic and the other? I, I, uh... I'm really not sure that it's a sensible question at the end of the day. Um but um yeah, hobbits would call it magic, but the elves wouldn't probably go I, I, I think I, I think I agree with that. Um but um uh anyway so The ring has no power over him because he is his own master. If I had to paraphrase that by saying, what is it that Tom Bombadil has that makes him impervious to the power of the ring? What is it that he has? Is it a testimony to his strength that he is his own master and the ring has no power over him? I think it's and it could be his yellow boots we can't rule that out. I think if I think it is I think I would say it's his contentment. He wants nothing. He wants for nothing, right? Tom Bombadil is utterly content and joyful likely about I agree with that. Um Exactly. As J.J. says, what would the ring possibly tempt him with? I mean, can you imagine a ring-induced monologue designed for Tom Bombadil? What would that even sound like? What would the ring offer him? What, like, there's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing for the ring to hook onto, to try to entice Tom Bombadil, right? Um, and ultimately, the purpose of the ring... Right, is to amplify power, to provide power to accomplish your ends, right? And of course, the ring also shapes and twists and corrupts those ends as well, as we will see in Boromir, as we have seen in Gollum, um, uh, even as we've begun to see in some small ways uh, about Frodo and even Bilbo. Um, And uh, he, um, Tom Bombadil. What's he going to get? How is he going to, you know, think about, um, yeah, J.J., of course, I was thinking about, (laughs) right. Uh, J.J. says, and instead of a dark lord, you would have Tom Bombadil, exactly the same as he is living in the same house. Right. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Think about Galadriel's speech there for a second. Right. Um, she, She has plans. Right. There are things that she would do. Um she's got a wish list. Galadriel does, right? Um if you ask Galadriel, "Hey Galadriel, what would you do if you got the ring for yourself?" right? Um she's got a plan. She's mapped it out. Right? She knows what she would do with the enemy's ring. She has she does not have that same contentment. Right? It doesn't she does not have that same so the ring has plenty of hooks. <clears throat> to sink into Galadriel. Um so again I don't I, th- I, I think that there is the significance of he is his own master it's not just about his power um, he has all that he wants um, but he cannot alter the ring itself nor break its power over others um, and Gandalf is I think very right to point this out And we've seen this. We've seen evidence of this. Um, He, what would happen if Tom Bombadil took the ring? We know. We've seen him take the ring. We were there, right? He took the ring from Frodo, and he looks through it, and he laughs, and he throws it up in the air, and he makes it disappear, and he hands it back to him, right? We know exactly. He's going to play with it, is what he's going to do right um he uh has no desire but but he remember he did take it right he had it um frodo handed it over to him now here's the reason i'm emphasizing this there's tom bombadil is a ring bearer there was a moment when the ring was in his possession freely given to him by frodo and when it was in his possession, when Tom Bombadil had possession over it, did it lose its power over Frodo? Was he, even when he made it disappear, even when he made it disappear, and um, um, and uh, there's this moment when, whether it's sleight of hand, whether it's enchantment, whether he's enchanting the hobbits, whether he's in chanting the ring, whether he's uh, uh, whether he's just doing a purely physical, like dexterity based sleight of hand um, it doesn't matter. There's this moment when the ring is gone the ring is, is gone is it gone from Frodo? No the opposite, right? As this is happening, Frodo is becoming more and more in the grip of the ring right? The, the ring is going to win its greatest victory over Frodo that it has yet won. Is that true? I think it might be true. Frodo putting on the ring and trying to sneak out of the house of Tom Bombadil is, in my mind, one of the most alarming things that happens in book one. I think that's like Frodo's lowest point in the entire thing. He has the temptation to leave his friends behind in the barrel, but he resists that temptation. He doesn't resist this temptation. As we talked about, he's on the way out. If Tom doesn't see him and call him back, what happens? He's gone, right? And I, you know, is he going to be gone forever? I don't know. But, um, uh, and yeah, J.J. Frodo panics when it disappears. So, again, we've seen when Tom Bombadil has the ring, even when he's doing something to the ring, whatever it is that he's doing, right, he's doing it to the ring, and it does not break the power the ring has over others. Quite the contrary. And if anything, it almost... um. It almost cements the power that the ring has over Frodo, and it certainly does not alter the ring itself um, yeah, and you're right, Emily Frodo showed it back end. he was already falling under the ring's power exactly, but this moment that moment that we're talking about him stepping out of the house there um, is um, is the closest thing, right. Um. Yeah. Now, Terrence says, did Tom possess the ring? Does handling or holding it imply possession? Gandalf handled the ring after all. Uh, yeah, um, there is that moment. Um, there is that moment when Gandalf chucks it in the fire, right? He's got it then. The only other time Gandalf is in, even indirect possession of the ring, is when he picks up the envelope and puts it on the mantelpiece in Chapter 1, when Bilbo knocks it off again, right? Um, uh, but, um, but I think that he does. Now, good, Cook of Wooten Minor was saying, Frodo does hand it over willingly, right? Um, I agree, D. Schwab, he does put the ring on his finger, Right which is very different from what Gandalf does. Um, Gandalf takes the ring and chucks it, right? The one action Gandalf performs with the ring is throwing it into the fire, which is, if you're going to do one thing with the ring, that's a pretty good thing to do, right? So um, it's true that Frodo hands it over into Gandalf's possession, Um, but Gandalf, he immediately tosses it. He does not... Do what Tom Bombadil does. He doesn't hold it and look at it and examine it and put it on his finger. He doesn't do any of those things, right? And I think that that's really important. Um, uh, But anyway, um, Tom Bombadil taking the ring, looking through it with his eye, right? Which is, of course, as we talked about at the time, this like almost adorable inversion of the eye of Sauron right the twinkling blue eye of tom bombadil looking through the ring of gold which is an image which uh, frodo finds like comical and alarming i believe are the words that he uses about that it's both comical and alarming um so yeah do i think that tom bombadil possesses it i do think tom bombadil possesses it um and nancy you're right bombadil is not afraid of the ring but gandalf is absolutely anyway he does not break the power of the ring. Oh, wait, sorry, but I was getting back to um. the point, that excellent point that uh, uh, who was... Yeah, Cook of Wooten Minor uh, was saying that Frodo does give it over, willingly. Um, yes. Yes. Um, now, Frodo's not giving it up for good. He's just handing it over. He's just letting Tom see it, right? So this is not a question of Give up the ring, Frodo, right? Um, And so it kind of takes him by surprise. But at the same time, it seems to me that Tom Bombadil helps him. Remember, Gandalf has to help Bilbo when it comes to giving up the ring. Um, It is partially through Gandalf's putting forth of his power. As Gandalf says later to Frodo, remember, he needed all my help, too. Right. It's not just his helpful persuasion and encouragement that he gave. Um, He put forth his power to assist Bilbo in giving up the ring. Um, I think that Tom Bombadil does. So first of all, what he's asking of Frodo is much less significant than what uh, Gandalf is asking of Bilbo at that earlier time. Um, But I think he does give him help too. remember that the description of it. um, Frodo just finds himself handing over the ring without even thinking about it. Um, it would have been a wrench. It would have been difficult. Just as we saw, it was difficult for him to throw it into the fireplace back in Bag End. Um, it would have been hard, but it didn't feel hard. He just, as soon as Tom asks, he finds himself handing it over. And I think Tom Bombadil is helping him here. Um, I, I really, I really think that he is. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree, I Like Galadriel, Gandalf has a wish list. And so is vulnerable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so... All right. Arrestor's second question. But within those bounds, nothing seems to dismay him. Would he not take the ring and keep it there, forever harmless? No, said Gandalf, not willingly. Um, okay. Um... Aristor, again, asks a sensible question, right? His observation that he has a power even over the ring um, makes a lot of sense, right? And his follow-up, would he not take the ring and keep it there forever harmless? Because the ring seemed to be harmless in Tom Bombadil's possession. If the ring has no power over um, Tom Bombadil, then there can be no better ring bearer than that, right? If the ring is a danger even to the wise, well, it does not appear to be any danger. Even Gandalf agrees that it has no power over him, right? Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, he, he uh, this seems like a great suggestion. Notice, by the way, something I never really thought about before. Aristor is already thinking along the correct lines. Aristar is tracking with Elrond here and the direction in which Elrond's thought is going and speech is pointing. Step one. We have to find something to do with the ring. Somebody has to hold this thing. Whom can we trust with this ring? Right? Again, as you know, Eliza points out, so, um, Elrond begins very pertinently with the the problem with um, Saruman, right? With Saruman's treachery. Um, Yeah, such things have happened before. We should all be careful, right? We should all be careful about this. So, what are we going to do? No matter what it is, ultimately we decide to do hide it, destroy it, send it away. Use it against the enemy. I mean, no matter what it is that we try to do, somebody has to have it. Somebody has to wield this thing or at least carry it. Even throwing it into the ocean is going to require somebody to carry it to the ocean. Um, I mean, you can't exactly trust the river to roll it down to the sea, of course. Um, But... um, So... Preliminary step A... In deciding what to do with the ring, who's gonna have it? Somebody, um, again, remember Gandalf's speech to Saruman one hand, uh, you know, only one hand at a time can ring, can wield the one, so do not bother to say we. Um, he could almost, Aristor, could almost be saying the same thing to Gandalf himself, right? Um, Gandalf says, What shall we do with it? It's almost as if Aristor is implying. Gandalf, but one hand at a time can wield the one, so do not bother to say we. It's not a question of what shall we collectively do with the... We can't do anything with the ring. Somebody has to do something with the ring. The very first thing, even before we decide what it is that person is going to do, we have to decide who's going who's gonna to take it up. Um, and the answer is his suggestion is what about Tom Bombadil what if tom bombadil takes it up because from everything i've heard from everything you guys what what i'm hearing right here is that there is somebody on in the world who is safe somebody over whom the ring has no power so even gandalf's correction doesn't discourage Aristor, right say not that the ring say you know uh, i should not put it so say rather that the ring has no power over him Okay, that sounds good too. Uh, we can work with that. We can we, we can work with that. Yeah, if he could just, you know, suppress the power of the ring. If he had power over it, optimal, sure. But it has no power over him? Okay, great. So let's give it to him then. Would he not take the ring and keep it there forever harmless? Um, because within the bounds that he has set, nothing seems to dismay him. He's not afraid of anything. He has absolute mastery. And again, I come back to Elrond's ramblings about the ancient world and the connections between the ancient world and the modern world that they're currently living in and in which all of these events are currently transpiring. Um, Old Man Willow, the Barrow Whites, these, you know evils and inconveniences of elder days. Tom Bombadil is, is master over them. He's not daunted. Um, yeah, yeah. Um. Nancy says, Nine Wraiths versus Tom Bombadil cage match. In the Old Forest? Tom Bombadil. Totally. Tom by a mile. And I think even the narrator acknowledges this. In that line from an early draft that Tolkien left in the published edition, when Frodo says to the nine, all nine riders at the fort of Bruinen, um, go back, go back. You shall have neither the ring nor me. Um, the narrator tells us he had not the power of Bombadil. Bombadil can speak to the wraiths and they would obey him. Right. If Tom Bombadil says, go away, they would go away. Um, but Frodo does not have the power of Bombadil. So, absolutely, Tom Bombadil would mop the floor with all nine of the ring wraiths. Uh, and again, super attractive proposition, right? Uh, within his bounds, nothing seems to dismay him. If the Witch King and all of the other ring wraiths went to Tom Bombadil's house and tried to take the ring from him or whatever, um, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Um. Yeah. So. So then what? Right. Gandalf's answer to this very sensible suggestion. No, said Gandalf, not willingly. In answer to his question, would he not take the ring and keep it there forever harmless? Um, And it's interesting to me because it seems to me that um, Aristor's question is slightly rhetorical. Would he not take the ring and keep it there forever harmless? I don't think Aristor is really asking. I don't think he fully means. Would he opt for that or would he refuse? I think that he is mostly saying, um, wouldn't this work? Right. If he kept the ring, wouldn't he take it and keep it there forever harmless? If we gave the ring to him, Isn't that what would happen? Doesn't this sound like a viable solution to anybody else? Right, that seems to me what Aristor is saying. And Gandalf answers his question willingly. Would he not take the ring? No, he would not take the ring. He would refuse the ring. No, said Gandalf, not willingly. He might do so if all the free folk of the world begged him but he would not understand the need. Yeah, I agree Emily. He's brainstorming is exactly is exactly what he's doing there. Um, um Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Michael D says, it sounds like Gandalf is breaking the brainstorming protocol. Write all the ideas down and don't discuss them until later. Um, yes, yes, uh, he's not uh, doing brainstorming right uh, here. Um, uh, yeah, I want to come back to that question, Matt, because I think it's a very interesting question, too. Um. He would not willingly take the ring. Why not? Why would he not willingly take the ring? Because it's a corruptive influence. It would be a downer in his valley. He doesn't treat it like that. He doesn't treat it with repugnance or, like, why did you bring this radioactive thing into my house? Right? He plays with it like it's a toy. He doesn't seem bothered by the ring at all. Right? Um, Yeah, I agree. Nothing is a downer to Tom. Absolutely. Um, So why would he not willingly take it? And why might he do it if all the free folk of the world begged him? Is sort of the follow-up question, right? Um... Why might he do so if all the free folk of the world begged him? Because, oh, hang on a second. Ray, I'm seeing your comment here and I'm just realizing—I'm just remembering. I saw your last comment too and I set it aside in my brain as like, I want to come back to that in a second. And now I forgot what it was. Ray, what did you just say before? What was your last comment? Darn it, I've forgotten it, and now I've lost it. I don't remember. Um. Yeah, that's it. That's it, Ray. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Ray said that uh, Tom Bombadil seems like a personification of Arda Unmarred. Yes. And I was going to say... I do think um, something very like that, Ray. And I think I would say that might actually be my favorite ex- uh, my favorite answer to the question, what is Tom Bombadil? Um, but I would add to it, I would say not only that he's a personification of Arda Unmarred, he's not just a memory of what Arda Unmarred was like. He's also... Uh, you know, a reminder of what Arda restored is gonna look like. Um. Yeah, I I can't help but think Ray of the discussions that we had in the Mythgard Academy when we were discussing Morgoth's Ring, and we were looking at es- Estelle, hope, um, the high hope, as Tolkien was defining it, uh, in Morgoth's Ring, and he was talking about hope as being connected with two things. First, holding on to how things should, to the image of how things should be, despite the fact that Arda is marred right now. There's holding on to what things should be, even if they aren't, and the glimpse of what shall be to come. And that, which is the same thing as what we were saying. Arda unmarred in the past, Arda remade in the future, Arda restored in the future. Um, And I I think that Tom Bombadil is very much, uh, I mean, I don't think that there's anywhere else that we see something. I think Tom Bombadil, Ray, is the best, um, the best picture that we have of what Arda Unmarred is like. So, yes, Arda Restored is going to be a musical, Fire Swans. Confirmed. Confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is anyone surprised by that? <laughs> right. Have you read the Ainolindale? Yeah, of course it's going to be that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Gilgalady. Great question. How is there a memory of Arda unmarred when it was marred in the music at its creation? Yeah, sure. Because it did exist. Um, before it existed, before it was given being, right? Um, Yes, there is, if you go back to the Ina before we get the Discord of Melkor, we get the description of the perfect and beautiful harmony of the music, initially. Um, Arda Unmarred is there. The image of what it was supposed to be, of what it could have been, of what it should be, is there. At the beginning, perfected later on, right? Perfected uh, in the uh, uh, in Arda remade and are uh, in the great music that the Ainur and the children of Iluvatar shall make later on, right? Um, but I agree, Biarnisonar. There's only so much sense that the word "before" means when you're talking about the music that is taking place in the timeless halls uh, of uh, Iluvatar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but um, anyway, anyway, okay. Uh, back to starting to range a little further afield, but I think it's, it's, uh, um, I, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to just allow myself to get too distracted talking Ina Lindley here. So let's get back to Tom Bombadil and Aristor's very good and sensible question. Would he not take the ring and keep it there forever harmless? No, not willingly and I think that in a sense that's almost a surprising answer now if he would not do it willingly why would he do so if all the free folk of the world begged him but he would not understand the need Um. um why He might do so if all the free folk of the world begged him, but he would not understand the need. I don't know which half of that sentence to tackle first. Um, pity? Yes. Yes. Um. I think he would feel pity. Yeah, Bjornosona, you had said that before. Thanks for repeating that. Um... He doesn't understand the appeal of the ring and so he doesn't understand the danger of the ring. Um, He would not understand the need. On the one hand, some of the things that Gandalf says in this half of this paragraph about Tom Bombadil sound a little insulting, right? Um... uh, I don't know if insulting is quite the right word, even belittling. He wouldn't understand it. He would soon forget it. Such things have no hold on his mind. He would be most unsafe. Okay, well, he's not an idiot or a child, right? Why doesn't he understand the need? Why would he forget it? Or most likely throw it away. In what sense do such things, such things as what? Grown-up questions about the fate of the world and all that kind of thing, right? Second darkness, Tom Bombadil, right? Stay focused now. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's think this through a little bit he would not understand the need. So Bjarne Honor, I go back to, I go back to your, uh, your comment. He doesn't feel the attraction. And so he does not understand the danger as Bjarne Sonner adds. Um, he may understand it intellectually, but he doesn't really grok it on a deeper level. Um, yes, yes. He lacks that kind of deep comprehension. What it, he's not tempted by the ring, and he's not going to understand the temptation of others. He won't understand the need, not the need to oppose Sauron, right? Not the need to, you know, it's like, oh, is there something wrong with the world? Oh, I hadn't noticed. Oh, is the Dark One going to cover the lands in a second darkness? Who cares? That's not Tom Bombadil. That's not what he's saying. I think that what Gandalf means when he says he would not understand the need, the need that Tom Bombadil would not understand is the need to keep the ring safe, right? Why is it like so if they gave the ring to Tom Bombadil, imagine how this conversation would go, right, okay, Tom Bombadil, here's the ring, right? Take the ring and keep it safe, keep it safe, and keep it secret, right? Gandalf could give his speech again. Um, keep it secret and keep it safe. Don't let anybody else have it. Whatever you do, like guard it constantly, no matter what. Don't throw it up in the air and make it disappear. That's really cute, but don't do it. Just, 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 just keep the ring here and make sure it doesn't leave. Um, that's what they would have to say to Tom Bombadil. And he wouldn't understand the temptation that others are going to experience, right? Um, uh, think about his response again to um, uh, his response to Frodo when Frodo puts on the ring right Um, take off your golden ring you know your hands more fair without it Um, take off your golden ring your hands more fair without it Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say anything along the lines of Frodo, consider the significance of what you've done, right? Consider the the path that you are walking down. Consider the, the hold that the ring is gaining over you that you're about to leave your friends. Consider if you, you know, what can happen to you if you continue to wear the ring and if you follow it in that way. He doesn't say any of those things. I'm not sure he really, as Bjorn Sander says, that he really grocks that, that he really understands what that is actually like. What he actually says, your hand's more fair with that. You don't look—it's not—it doesn't suit you, Frodo. It doesn't suit you. And I'm not trying to make that merely frivolous. His hand, Frodo's hand, is far more fair without the ring. You hear the ironic foreshadowing in that statement, of course. Yeah, one way in which his hand is more fair without the ring is um, that it's more fair with all five of its fingers, right? Um, but of course, even maimed, his hand is going to look more fair without the ring than it did with the ring on. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah, Valori, I agree. Even if he doesn't understand evil in this way, he knows um, it's discordant with Frodo yes yes, exactly um uh, yeah, yeah, um good, right, Lupilia says, or if he becomes a wraith and basically invisible, his hand is more fair when it's like you know on this side, right, yeah, absolutely when it's when it's when it's when it's when it's alive, yeah, um yeah, so um. That seems to me to be the sense uh, in which Tom Bombadil would not understand the need. Um, Like, for instance, where's Tom Bombadil going to keep it? You give Tom Bombadil the ring and you give him the speech. What's he going to do? Wear it around his neck? Keep it in his pocket? Never take it? I mean... If you explain to him very carefully, if Sauron gets this ring, the world is coming to an end. So don't let Sauron get the ring, right? You know I mean, wear it on his finger, right? Exactly, D. Schwab. Why not? Maybe he'll just wear it. But he's not gonna wanna wear it. His hand is more fair without it too, I think, right? Um He could keep it in his boots. I think that's a good suggestion. Um but um uh Yeah, yeah. Um So would he, in keeping it secret and keeping it safe, would he understand why? Like, for instance, apparently Tom Bombadil occasionally hangs out with Farmer Maggot, right? Would he keep it secret from Farmer Maggot if he had the ring? Would he make sure that Farmer Maggot never encountered the ring? Because Farmer Maggot might be tempted. I mean, think of the mushrooms he could grow if he had that ring of power. I'm assuming it would be something along in the mushroom direction, right? Um, like he could have the greatest field and most inviolate field with that nobody could steal his mushrooms ever again. Um, again, I'm not saying that I think it likely that Farmer Maggot would fall prey to the temptation of the ring. All I'm saying is... Um, Do I think he would be tempted? Yeah, Sam is tempted. Farmer Maggot would be tempted, too. Less tempted than others. uh, But I think that he would be tempted, too. Would Tom Bombadil get that? Would Tom Bombadil understand the kind of effect that it has on others? Even non-Sauron and non-Nazgul persons. Right? I'm not sure (laughs) that he would. I'm not sure that he would. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Uh... A mushroom patch swollen to a realm. Oh, my goodness. Yes, he'd cover all the lands in a second fungus. Yeah, something like that. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's... In that context, I really can understand what Gandalf means when he says he would not understand the need. Again, I don't think it means... You know, like, the fate of the world is too deep a question for Tom Bombadil, right? You know, you try to explain to Tom Bombadil that the Dark Lord, if he gets the ring, is going to come and conquer everything. And Tom Bombadil's like, la la, I'm not listening. Like, that's not what Gandalf is describing, I think. So thinking about it in terms of the practical effect of the ring, him being com- so completely um, oblivious to the temptation of the ring himself that he does not comprehend it in others. Um, Now, continuing on. And if he were given the ring, he would soon forget it or most most likely throw it away. Such things have no hold on his mind. Okay. Um, This one's a little harder for me to explain, so I need help with this one. He would soon forget it Okay, uh you know I'm pretty forgetful I could imagine that happening one thing drives out another uh, you know, and I suppose uh you know he's a busy man, tom Bombadil um he has his walking and his uh you know his um oh what's the line uh I have my walking and my he doesn't rhyme it does he he doesn't say my walking and my talking does he my walking and my um, you know, I was busy singing. I know he says my walking and I don't think it's my walking and my singing. Is it somebody look this up and my watching of the countryside. Um, yeah, Amethorn, I think that that's a very good way to, um, it is singing. Okay. My walking and my singing doesn't feel right. Eh, okay. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Um, but anyway, okay. Uh, I like Amathorn's, uh, comment. Um, it's not that he's absent-minded. It's just that it would not be in the forefront of his mind and other things would soon seem more important in the moment. Tom lives in the moment. Yes, Tom lives in the moment. We can see that by the dynamism of his reaction to things, right? Leaping into the ground and clapping his hands and, um... You know he is he lives in the moment, he definitely lives in the moment. Um, would he continuously prioritize keeping the ring safe and keeping it secret above all other things all the time? No, no, he wouldn't there's um yeah, yeah, my making and my singing, my talking and my walking that's why because I was trying to I was pairing it with singing. I knew my talking and my singing didn't feel right, okay, okay very good. Thank you, J.J., for the, for the quote. And right, Nathalus is quoting it for me, too. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yep, yep. Um, okay, so, so yes. He would soon forget it, or most likely throw it away. Or most likely throw it away. Really? He'd just chuck it? Even if all the free folk of the world begged him emphasizing how really very, very important it is to do everything possible to make sure that Sauron does not get a hold of this ring. And he's just going to be like, Whee I'm just going to chuck it. JJ does point out very appropriately, uh, that he tosses it around when he gets it the first time. So, you know, there's precedent for this kind of thing. Bjarnasoner is suggesting that he takes that as discard as trash, not, you know, violently cast out. Um Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, it is nothing to him, but, but, but again, see it's, um. yes, it's not, yes, it's nothing to him. He doesn't value it for itself. But the thing that bothers me about the statement is that it seems also to imply that he is incapable of comprehending the value that it has to Sauron either, right? Um. Why it is that somebody should take upon themselves? So, I mean, one thing that's um, clear, and a couple of you were, um, a couple of you were suggesting this a little bit earlier on. The same sort of thing, keeping the ring would definitely be a job. I mean, it would definitely be a job. It would definitely be. Um, it would be a. A role that he would be adopting sacrificially adopting. I mean, he would have to take this on and agree to put this before everything else if he were to be a safe guardian. Um, and several of you were saying, "This this isn't his job." I mean, it's this kind of thing is not his job. Um, here's another way of looking at that why why is tom not tempted by the ring because he's content because he's joyful because he has no concerns in the world is he ignorant of evil is he ignorant of suffering no he knows suffering he's familiar with suffering um he can tell sad stories he remembers something sad about the story of the woman who wore the brooch upon her shoulder right um he he's not ignorant of sad things and of tragedy but they do not um, they do not shake his cool right I mean they do not um, uh, they don't mar his flow man they just don't um, he remains content he is yeah he is he is the master um, he understands right they don't weigh in his mind they don't linger I agree Michael Tobias ain't nothing gonna break his stride ain't nothing gonna hold Tom down oh no <laughs> that's right that's right um, if Tom Bombadil were to take upon himself the role of guardian of the ring and he were to fully internalize that need, right? If I don't guard this ring ceaselessly and effectively, the world is coming to an end. All of these other people rely upon me. If I fail in this, then everything is gone. He, he's, his contentment is gone. Now the ring would have a hold on him. Now he has a wish list. Right. You you give Tom Bombadil a wish list, you're going to undermine his ability to have power, have no, you know, have, uh, you know, the ring have no power over him. Right. Um, He. uh, There is something fundamentally inimical between the role of the ring bearer and. The complete freedom from the temptation of the ring, they can't go together. Um, because to have that sense, if such things did have a hold on his mind, anxiety about the future, concern for the fate of others, that sense of responsibility for the concern of others, right? This sort of high moral duty, right? Of uh, of performing this task. If those things have a hold on your mind, then you would also become an unsafe guardian, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, It's not possible. So again, one of the interesting things about the Tom Bombadil question that they debate here, that, um, you know, Elrond indirectly brings up and Aristor follows right along with him and comes in on it's almost like a theoretical question right Aristor brings it back to the as i said like let's not say we right let's 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 come to the most immediate and crucial question of who who is going to whatever we do who's going to do it with the ring and Tom Bombadil becomes an almost um theoretical case, almost a theoretically perfect case. Is it possible for there to be a person who is perfectly safe with the ring? Can we trust anybody with the ring? Well, who could we trust? The only people we could trust, not powerful people who are well-intentioned, because look what can happen to powerful, well-intentioned people like Saruman, right? Um, so it's not there. The only person, theoretically, who would be perfectly safe holding the ring and protecting the ring and carrying the ring is somebody totally unfazed by it, somebody totally untempted by it, somebody over whom the ring had no power. And yet for that reason, they would be unsafe. Gandalf disproves the theoretical test case of Tom Bombadil taking the ring. It's not just about him personally, I think. It's about this test case. I mean, the result, the conclusion that I think from these passages, you know, from this slide that we're looking at here today, I think the, the inescapable conclusion is no one is safe holding the ring. No one can be trusted with the ring. It's, it's not just we don't, we're fresh out of candidates. Theoretically, nobody could hold it because the only one person who might, in the sense of being totally impervious to the ring, his very imperviousness, in order for the imperviousness to remain intact, he would therefore, by definition, have to be unsafe, right? Um, therefore, anything that we whatever we do with the ring, whatever we decide and talk about as a council from here, right, everything that we think about, has to be premised upon the dangerous and risky premise. Whoever is carrying the ring is going to be in danger, is going to be a danger to himself and others, right? There is no possibility of doing this without risk. And therefore, of course, that also is going to lead them. um, This points, this, Gandalf is working to point towards the answer that he and Elrond certainly both know is the only possible answer. We've got to send the ring to the fire. The only option is to minimize... The only way to minimize the risk, truly to minimize the risk, is to make a straight line between us and destroying the ring forever. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so uh, Sam asks if Elrond knows that Mount Doom is the only possible answer. Why bring this up at all? Well, first of all, hes um, he didn't. He just talked about squirrels for a while, and Aristor brought this up, right? Now, I do agree with Eliza that he's not randomly wandering. Um, he's doing work here, and he's preparing people. Sam, recall first just for one thing. Um, he is not... Um, He's not trying to... Re- He's not decreeing things. Gandalf 2, as we were discussing last week, um, Gandalf 2 leaves this a more open question than it might theoretically be. Right? Um, what shall we do with this? Well, you know, the the you know the question remains, what shall we do with it? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly, Tomas. Nobody can really hold the ring for too long. Nobody would be a safe guardian of the ring. Absolutely. Um, yes, yes. Um, right. Lady Wakata says, and then he immediately shut, they immediately shut down people's suggestions. Yes, exactly. Um, they are going to do that. Um, Elrond is going to be involved in the rapid shooting down of other suggestions as well. But he is, leaving them free first to explore them, even encouraging them to explore them. And this is an intriguing question. I mean, it's fascinating that Frodo's story has brought to light... Frodo has encountered somebody along the way who was totally impervious to the Ring of Power. That seems relevant. You know, that seems like noteworthy uh, 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 news to discuss, right? Um, And it leads to this really interesting and important theoretical conclusion. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, JJ. It's not enough for Elrond and Gandalf to know what needs to be done. Everyone needs to understand and be more or less in agreement. Yes. That seems to be their approach anyway. Um, and, um, and, oh, and I agree, Nathan, the wrong, I don't think that Elrond and Gandalf had discussed Tom Bombadil prior to the council. Elrond's admission that he had almost forgotten about Tom Bombadil, um, seemed to imply that was not something they'd talked through, but, um, uh, but nevertheless, they both still seem to feel the same way about it. Um, yeah, yeah, and I agree, Ray, thus answering the question for critics, why Tom is even in the story. Yeah, he, he contributes some stuff to the story. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um... Okay. Um great. So um we're gonna stop there, um uh where we go from here, right? Because Gorfindel is gonna weigh in on this question, joining Aristor, right, in considering this question. But Gorfindel is gonna shift the thing. If Aristor's focus is on yeah, but who's gonna carry the ring? Who's gonna be the one hand that can you know, wield the ring at a time, right? Who's going to have, a, a you know, uh, uh, the um, uh, custody of the ring in whatever we do? Gorfindel is going to turn the question in a different direction, the Bombadil question specifically, uh, in a different direction. Okay, so... Um, We'll get there next time. In the meantime, it is field trip time. So uh, back to our exploration of the Lotra adaptation. Uh, Thanks to those of you who uh, have joined us for our text discussion. We'll get back to the text next week. Uh, Now, in the meantime, let us go back to our, um, let's go back to our adaptation discussion.
1: (laughs) Hi there. How's everyone doing? Can Uh, you hear me okay?
0: Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Awesome. I gotta adjust things here. Okay, all right. I think we're good now. Yes. There we Sorry. go. Sorry. had some sound issues uh-huh.
1: earlier. We're just working on.
0: I'm not good, and now I got my picture all messed up. Turn it. Oh no! I hate it when that happens. Hmm. Hmm. Well, the proportion is all wrong. I doubt it's gonna even let me resize it. You watch. We'll see. I have all kinds of. Well, okay. No, that's all right. Good, it worked. Yes, I do desire to keep. That. Oh. Okay, fine. Good. Excellent. All right. <laughs> um, at
2: least you can right click now.
0: And I can right click. So what do I have to complain about in this world? Nothing. I can right click. So, um. Uh. So let's go back to Blomgard. Uh, so uh, hang on. Let's look at the map for a second. Yeah. I'm yeah. Show the map of ravanian, and wait. Where am I looking? I'm looking for. So many things. Um, what is in this long list?
2: Vales Gladden of Fields?
0: V. Is it under G? No. Vale? no. V. Victor. Vales of Anduin. There we are. Thank you. Okay. I forgot what the map section was called. Okay. Um, So we have been exploring. We started in Hultvis. We made a quick run through Wolf Dean on a memorable occasion. And then we uh, have been mostly exploring the garden fields. That's what I wanted to begin with, of course, because that is the headliner uh, from Uh an adaptation standpoint here. Um, We have explored all the entire southern portion here. um, And uh, we are we just we ended at Ross last time. Now, um you may remember at Ross we were looking up at the high balcony and hoping that we could get up there but we couldn't get up there. Um so yeah. uh Druid's Fire asked uh Cordovan at Standing Stone uh to take some pictures for us of what the uh, what up there looks like because as one of the cool. devs he can get he can boost uh his character up enough to see uh that. So um uh, Druid's fire can post uh, pictures in the chat. And in my opinion, it totally confirms our theories about Ross Um So anyway, so I want to head... Uh, let's start... let's loop up towards Holtvis. The goal is to, to connect the loop. So this, let's have this be our last trip to, to Blomgard, And then we'll go past Gobel, up through Wood's Edge, see what we find around in here, and head up back towards Holtvis. And then we'll see where things go. Okay, so um, Druid's Fire has posted uh, those pictures. Basically, it's a it's a, it's a balcony. Um, there's nowhere like to go in or do much. All there is is it's like a balcony with lots and lots and lots of birdhouses. There's like ten birdhouses up there off to the side and around and back and everything. So I am completely convinced that that balcony up at the top of Radagast's cottage is like his place. It's it's the equivalent to where Saruman goes to watch the stars. It's where Radagast goes to talk to the birds. This is the center yeah. of Radagast's uh avian intelligence network, uh, I am convinced. And um and that's where he uh uh he sort of houses them uh when they're going to and fro. So um anyway, that's uh as I say, that that was my theory last time and I felt like the images that we saw Definitely seem to, uh, definitely seem to me to confirm that.
1: All right, that is uh, so cool. I, thanks, thanks, Druids uh, for, and Cordovan uh, for that. That's really yeah, awesome.
0: for that, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, all right. So yeah, I think we can pony up here. We'll head out, and we'll. I think there's. A, yeah, it looks like yeah. Uh, Kiressa needs into the. Uh,
1: um, gotta convert, and I will do that. Yeah,
0: if we can. Yep. Looks like Rosilas also. Las. Yep. 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 Lass. All right. Okay, let's see. Uh, Our RP... green stand. Yep, got green oh, yeah, stand. Okay, right? Okay, good. Yep. Good. Um, hey, uh, RP Grandpa was just asking if if I were to uh, get Lotro, what, what 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 would I need to buy to get all the content and expansions? Well, um, if you want to get everything, I don't know. Um, is there they like just,
2: a yes? There's now an expansion trove that lets you buy most of the older expansions for sixty dollars. The two newest expand. Three newest expansions are still for regular price on the okay. website, and most of them are now available for larger points in-game.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. Am I going the right way? No, I'm not. This I, is the front yeah. this is the Front door. I, wanna, I want the back door. <laughs> I got turned around. Okay.
1: Now to the back around.
0: door. We want the back door, not the front door. We want to go out near, but not all the way to the creepy spider people. Mm-hmm. All right, so which way? Which way do we go from here? I always lose my place here in Bombay. You'd think I would know it because we've been here so many times. But is it out this way?
2: It's to the southeast.
0: Wait, south? For real?
2: I. Mm-hmm, that's the road out.
0: That's the road yep. out. I'm still. I'm pointed the wrong direction again. What is wrong with? Yeah. Me? Okay, we are going. East is the direction we're going. We're not going west, we're going east. That's step one is to go. Austin is own museum, eh? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay, here we go. This Professor is
2: Professor Corey, Professor Marcus you know, Brody.
0: It's it's all good. Here we go, that's it. That's it. Okay. This is the dark and creepy spider path that we don't yep. want on to travel on, on world, very long. The lake. Yeah, so we come through here and then we take we hang a left in order to hit the lake, right? And there's where the path goes down that way. And I think there's like a cliff That's here, where we, right? No, not, not a cliff, yeah. right? Not, not too much of a drop.
1: Oh, yeah, it wasn't a cliff this time. That's nice.
0: Yeah, we must have hit it in a different place. Okay. Yeah. So we swim but over yeah, it, towards Ross Ro- Gobel. Yeah. Lady Lakata says that those spider people haunt her dreams. I hear you, man. They were seriously creepy. Yeah.
1: Props again, the standing stone uh, for Yeah. This thoroughly atmospheric.
0: Yeah. And I still kind of want to know their backstory, but I also kind of don't want to know their backstory. So,
1: oh, indeed. Yes. I'm going
0: to leave that to Grifflet to discover one of these days. Um, but, um, yeah. 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 Um, Okay. Um, So, as I recall, the forest is pretty dense down here around Ross Goble, which is itself kind of interesting, right? That um, even though he's living in a ruin, as we were discussing, uh, and so therefore... Um, you know, Radagast of course, I mean. Although he's living in a ruin and, and therefore is kind of rooted in the old Elvish culture here, the like pre Mirkwood Elvish culture. Um, nevertheless, his current surroundings are very like. Un- They're fortress
1: in themselves, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, very uncharted, very. Okay, we've got a Mirk Huorn here, okay. Um, it's, it's
1: definitely a wild wood. This is not a tame wood.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, it just shows that this is not, you know, it's, it's, it's a, in the modern world, right. It's a wholly uncivilized area. Um, yeah, yeah. Um. Civilized by men's
1: standards, maybe.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it doesn't, um, it's not a, like a civilized area, um, you know what I'm really glad of? I'm really glad that I don't have to find the door to Roscoe again today because that was challenging. Oh wait, hang on. What have we here? A hill, which is for a needle
1: in a needle stuck.
0: Right. Oh, okay. Hang on. I've run into a mountain.
1: Yeah. No, that's a sheer
0: wall. That is. So that's no good. So I guess we go layer lag around it. We can try. Right. Can we go? I don't know that we can go to the right.
2: Well, Lori, can you do me a favor and shift uh, somebody around so I can put shield wall on Corey, please?
0: Sure, sure.
1: Who am, am bring it over?
2: Oh, Curasa and me. That's me. Yep.
0: yep. There we go. Well, it's not like gonna the pull. horns are going to start attacking me. All right, there we go. Yes,
2: they will. I know. They yeah, they did. will. Yeah, look, um, look.
0: That's okay. All right, Speak so, of the devil fruit. So we're still in Ross gobel heading north and now we've entered into a new section and I want to see if there's anything that we can notice, any change in the land. One thing that I will would say is that things are still... I mean, it's dense, but things are relatively bright and cheerful. Um, at least things are bright and cheerful until you get running into a forest... a uh, mountain again. We've got to go all the way around these mountains to the to the west, don't we? My uh my yeah ma- my map suggests yeah. that this is not a small cliff, but in fact an entire mountain range.
1: Yes. Um, we should maybe mount up and head west.
0: Yeah, eh, maybe we should mount up.
1: Well, hard to say with all the undergrowth here.
0: Yeah, actually that's true. Well
1: no, let's try it. We can see how far we get.
0: We can try it. Before, like, the horn kills my horse, which didn't take very long. Uh, So I'm on foot again, so that's okay. Um, Okay, so I'm not seeing much change to the terrain. In particular, again, as I said, what I was interested to see is if we're going to have any gradients of, um, you know, merc woodification, right? Um, You, You mean specifically the necromancer's part of it? Yeah, yeah, like the forest getting darker. Uh, because although mm-hmm. it's been dense down here around Ross Gobel, it's green and mm. with pretty flowers and friendly. Um and containing hidden catches of treasure apparently. And um want to know. Right, exactly. Who doesn't like a little hidden catch of treasure every now and again? Um So it's still it just still does not feel like you know, the murkwood of the Hobbit, nor even like the Mirkwood of, you know, the more uh, central Mirkwood that we mm-hmm. uh, interacted with earlier in the game. Um, it's it's like the old
1: forest here. with the Thillian.
0: Right, right. Um, okay. Uh, still, let's see, where are we I'm on? Yeah, that's number. no, we still, right, still got a ways to go. There. We're getting there. Okay.
1: We're heading south now instead of west.
0: Yeah, well, we got to go around that little spur of the mountains here. Okay, oh, now we got, the, we got a horns. Look at these. We're getting some more twisted bear trees there, just a couple of them, right? So that was interesting. Oh, but now we're back in flowers. Back in flowers, still just deer and horns. So the enemies, you know, the mobs that we're encountering are not getting more alarming in the sense of you know, we're now into a more corrupted part of the forest.
1: Spiders and stuff.
0: Yeah. Because again, I'm wanting to look, I'm looking at the map for a second. Oh, you found a shrew, JJ? Okay, there we go. That's also not, you know, I'm pointed in the wrong direction entirely now. Okay. So that's useful. Glad I went to the map. Um, we got a loop around there. Um, but I'm just wanting to, to go out for a second just to show off that I can right-click. Um, and so we're north of of southern Mirkwood um, substantially, so it's not like we're close to Dol Guldur and we're moving north, or at least we're vainly attempting to move north and thus moving away from Dol Guldur. But, of course, we know that, you know, the shadow on merkwood it's up here in the north that uh, Bilbo was going through. And even if, you know... Uh, You know, we're told that things have been getting worse again in Mirkwood since those Mm -hmm. days. Um, So. okay, All right. JJ thinks we'd have been better off sticking to the road. It depends what you mean by better off. Better off in the sense of traveling between two points more quickly. Oh, no question. You know, this shortcut has gone wrong already, I freely admit. But. That's not this the This is point. a long delay. <laughs> it wasn't about an efficiency. This was a long cut, not a short cut, in the first place. I was wanting to see the terrain, to see the forest, <laughs> and now good
1: day for good time and day for it too. For okay,
0: to now that. we're on woods edge. We're in woods edge. Okay, right, and there's the road. Right, so we've come back to the road. Okay, so that's interesting that we can't cut, cut through at all there from. The mountains even are even more so Ross Gobel is cut off entirely uh from Holtfist. See, there we go. I wouldn't have known that. That's interesting. And it suggests, yep. of course, uh an you know, even further interesting factor about um about I guess I can probably mount up here, I suppose. Um a, a further interesting factor about um Radagast's choice, right, as they're characterizing it here. Um Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Hang on, there's a, there's a row. Where does the row go? Oh, somebody had a house. And it's still inhabited by wild boars? Huh. Did the wild boars burn this place down and claim the land?
1: Yes, they took over it with a box of matches.
0: Apparently. Yeah. Um... Okay. No, that's it. Um, All right. Um, Ugh, there's the loud voice. This really just looks like a house with a little plot. And this is a second house, so we had a little compound here, maybe an extended family. I love how the boars are rolling around on the ground on their backs. That's adorable. Um, look at him wallowing there. That's that's excellent. Um, okay. And a third house. Okay, so this was a little little mini, little mini village, but they really were just. Just houses. We can't tell much more other than that they were made of wood, principally, with these stone foundations. I wonder these beams that are sort of leaning off to the side, does that suggest that kind of roheric sloping roof construction that burned out with the heavy beams having burned? Yep. There's a hole. if you look at the the frames there, it looks like the kind of angular um, construction there. So I would guess that this was a an outpost or some kind of, uh, you know, sort of village that belonged to the Blomgard-Holtvis crowd, um, whose architecture is reminiscent of the Rohirrim. Um, but, uh, yeah, I figured there'd be a quest attached to this, Emily, but you see the... The fun of the field trips is to try to draw conclusions based only on what you see, not on the narrative. Drawing conclusions about the narrative and what the narrative says about the adaptation is Grifflet's game. Narnian's game is different. And there are the dwarves up ahead, at least the dwarf constructions. So, still mountains, okay, can't get Mm -hmm. inland there at all. A sheltered place? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like they don't want us getting into Middle murkwood.
1: Mm. It's like nature is protecting itself, almost.
0: Right, right. Um. Yeah, JJ, I think you might have been right. Now that you mention it, about there only being three walls in some of those, uh, uh, in, in, in some of those structures, maybe that one or more was stables. That yeah, and that might tell us something about the people as well. Okay, mm-hmm. and this is, we're all the way back up to Holtfish, right? Okay, so we uh, can't even get into, so this part of the map that I wanted to explore is not, doesn't exist, in fact. We can't even get in there at all. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Okay. There, is,
1: there should be a road leading out of Holtfus into Middle Merkwood.
0: Right. Well, we don't want to head there yet in that direction. Oh, we're, saving,
1: we're saving Mirkwood for later.
0: But we can't, Right. That's no road. Nope.
1: Oh yeah, I see it. It's a dead end.
0: So we might as well go there then. <laughs> Let's go there and see what we can see.
2: Or would you like to see an interesting cave?
0: An interesting cave. In an what kind cave. of interesting cave? I, I do like interesting caves. Is which which what direction is it?
2: Uh, it is right above the H and Holtvist on the map.
0: Ah, okay, okay. You can um, manage that. Sure. Let's go there and then we'll end for today. So yeah, because we didn't explore this area, um, we just dashed straight to Holtfus and then we started from here and we went south from here. So uh, we're going to need to come up here and explore to the left, yeah. Up the hill, see, now we're getting orc warriors up here on this boundary. Wandering around in the woods. Yeah, that's alongside the Whoorns.
1: Misty Mountains, Murkwood. We're like right in the between the hammer and the anvil.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of just getting the lay of the land up here.
1: (laughs) That's a good way to get the lay of the land.
0: Yeah, like get knocked sprawling onto it. Yeah, sure. Yeah,
1: nose first. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, Okay, so we're on the hills. So we've got orcs just roaming around. And we've got the low road here. And I say the low road primarily in contrast to the very high road that used to be up there. What is that thing? Is that a war? Oh, that's a warg, isn't it? Wow, I've got oh, like that. two or three swarms of flies around me, which is cool. Um, I guess I have the power to get rid of them, but... By setting fire to them, anyway. All right. Well, I'll come back and we'll look at the we'll look at this ruin. That that's that's another session. There's no way I'm gonna look at the uh, dwarf ruins here in just a couple minutes. So let's let's find this cave.
2: All right. It's to the south of
0: us. To the south. Yeah. Is it up in the hills? Yes. Okay. All right.
2: I'm to remember where it is,
0: do you fall
1: down it like you do in a silly? <laughs> no,
2: no, no. Ah, you have to come kind of close to the river along the cliff's edge and see so if you can find my green dot. Aha,
0: uh-huh. I think I found, found it. it. Yeah.
2: Oh, you fell in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, there it
0: is. Ooh. I found I found Rosy Glass's Dot and was uh, was was moving towards it. Okay. All right. Large cave. Large the sorrow well. And I'm looking. That's a cheerful just name. Just for context. Okay. Right next to the river. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So right along the river on this high ground over here. We've got another Hidden Catch, and then the Sorrow Well. This cave is very... Is it a big cave? It's got a large mouth, but... Okay. We're... No? No, it's a very restrictive entrance cave. We can't wander about. Who's... Okay, it's got lots of bones. Um, Hmm... Now, animal, starting to
1: guess what the sorrow might
0: be. Animal and human bones. Yeah, this is, looks like a cave in which sorrow is inflicted rather than mourned. Oh, lots of bones. Okay.
1: I'd expect to see webbing by now, if, but there's right. none. So. Bones
0: and water. Well, I'm glad we're not having webbing so far.
1: So far. Oh, another piece
0: of parchment. Hey, I can right-click it now. Um, yeah. Birch bark page. Or do I have to Yeah, you know, accept the thing? Okay, another lore, different lore.
1: Okay. Tender still he yearns with eyes that flare among the ferns for foal and filly, kid and meat, and most of all for children sweet. Oh. Turning him into a nursery bogey. Yeah. Now well, here's a suspicious dead end.
0: Huh?
1: Can we get? No, can't get through this alive,
0: And that's it, huh?
2: But if you had nameplates on, you'd see something else.
0: Oh, okay. What forty names? Oh. oh a blemished trinket.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Blemished trinket. I better. I better. Go look small.
1: In front of me. Up. Yeah. What? Confirm. See.
0: I can't I can't a do small
1: stone wrought trinket in the shape of a bear
0: huh yeah I can't I can't I cannot apparently start this quest so that's okay
2: no, no you can't unless you're doing the quest from Hult, the Holtfist fist area
0: okay but um,
1: That indicates uh, someone of bjorning descent has met a rather nasty end here
0: okay yeah trinket in the shape of a bear. Interesting. Mm. Hmm.
1: What do you think lives here? Well, I
2: I know who did, but I'm not going to tell you.
0: Right. The
1: who did past tense.
0: Yeah, it doesn't, I mean, I assume since we haven't found any corpses fresher or indeed anything attempting to kill us, uh, <clears throat> that it's past tense. It does feel trollish, Lady Wakata, I agree with that. Um, the text of the poem, if indeed the text of the poem is in fact relevant, which I'm not 100% necessarily convinced that it is. Um I- is one of those like it? Kind of sounds like Gollum poems, of course. It does. Um,
1: this is a pretty high body count for Gollum.
0: It is uh, also lots of very large creatures. He's more likely to be fishing than he is to be eating, like horses, which appear to have been eaten by uh, this. So,
1: picking on baby humans and and, yeah. and and goats, like in the poem.
0: Right, right. Hmm.
1: We have seen trolls around here.
0: Or yes. giants. The tro- trolls we- and giants both we saw. Mm-hmm. I want to go and look at the outside now.
1: Giants prefer to be in the fresh air, while trolls prefer to be underground because of the sun thing.
0: Right. Hmm. I don't see many indicators on the outside that would suggest. Yeah. No pictures warding people away. Right, right. Nor like any signs of stone cutting or anything like that.
1: Yeah. The Sorrow Well. Hmm. Good name.
0: It is. Wait, there's a pillar, Emily? Where's the pillar? Outside? In the cave?
1: Or outside of it?
0: See, I'm reluctant to... to... Wait. I'm reluctant to draw conclusions about the height of the cave. Because... That's, That's just caves for you. Right, things are always so big in Lotro that... They go, where is there a pillar? If you're standing next to a pillar, jump up and down. Because I don't see a pillar.
1: pillar that fell down way back.
0: Wait, OK. I'm not
2: seeing a pillar. Where's the pillar?
1: I mean, there was the ruins down there. Is that it? Which runes? The dwarven runes. I think there was some, some piece of fallen dwarven stuff out here. I didn't
2: okay, see it. Okay, so it's as they're saying in chat, it's probably part of the quest chain, so they're on the quest
0: oh. heaven, so
2: it's phased out.
0: Gotcha. I see. Okay. Wait, suddenly there's architecture we don't have. So you are literally um, seeing something that we're not seeing. Okay. Interesting. Well, it, can
2: you post a screenshot of it in Discord, please?
0: Yes, that would be lovely. That's cool because I was confused.
2: Yeah, we can't rebuild Archit, but apparently you can put a pillar in the middle of the nowhere.
0: Well, rebuilding Archit, you know, is going to take a lot of time. Hmm. You know.
2: Well, Severlin did uh, comment that, you know, folks have been asking about Thornley's workplace as well. Right. Right.
1: That's those in. It's where it's a front. There's no way he's actually building it in at this point.
2: Right. No, it's a con job.
1: It's a front for something. Legitimate <laughs> business in the forest. Why else right. would he have so many goods that smugglers seem to happen to have?
0: It is a little questionable. He's been working on that for a long, long time.
1: Yeah. Don't you get loans, man? Come on.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think based on location. I mean, we're just south of the Björning Lands.
1: Yeah, it's like we got It's the big trifecta. We got the Björning Land, we got the Misty Mountains, we got Merkwood Hall in the middle. It could be any number of those
0: things. Yes. Fighters. Yes. Um,. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, I don't know who is in that cave. I'll we'll see if I have any inspiration and we can keep looking around to see if we get any other cues. Mm. Um, but um anyway, okay, so next time we will definitely look around at uh the big dwarf construction there. Hmm i'm very curious about this
1: yeah me too that looks way that i mean it backs up some of our stuff about dwarven we should see if they have some of the the um forsaken buildings that we found right the goblins and orcs
0: right exactly
1: the machinery uh we should probably go back to holtfist and get the milestone there so we could head there next time
0: yes oh that's true because we don't have the we don't need to start at Blomgard again. That is so true. I totally agree. You were right. Okay, so we will look at the dwarf construction next time. That will be a lot of fun. We'll head back to Holdfast and um, by the road, presumably, would be the fastest way. And we will uh, milestone there so as to make it easier to come back next time. Okay, good. All right. So there's the pillar. Well, look at that. That pillar, which was utterly invisible to us, is just a perfect wooden sculpture of where am I going? I'm the wrong way. I'm already past the road. Sorry. I shouldn't be looking at several things at the same time that I'm trying to navigate. Um, It's like
1: driving while looking in your rearview mirror.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's, uh, Emily just posted the pillar that we can't see. And it is, uh, one of the bearded helmeted statues, just like the ones we see in hold. Well, not exactly like, but very, very similar to the ones that we see Ooh, they moved? in hold this. Yeah. I think they, I think they, I think they moved the town. I think it's not where it used Spiritual to be.
2: Pillar. Yeah. Somebody had to see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. So it would... I'm guessing that it has something to do with... Hmm. With, like, these, uh, you know, the... Yeah, it looks... It isn't the exact duplicate of this one, but it's very similar to this one. OK. And. OK. Where's the milestone? Oh, there it is. It's the one that looks like a milestone. I've been in Rohan too long.
1: I know. I was thinking that the little fountain was it, too.
0: Yeah. OK. Goodbye, and Hello again. Hold this. OK, cool. Excellent. All right, very good. So we shall resume at Holtvis next time, and we which will be easy for anybody else to get to as well. Uh, and then we will continue there up and look at Wolfdean and the, uh, the crossing, the Dwarvish crossings there. And then we'll continue up and we'll end up at the Carrick and the Bjornings, uh, the land of the Bjornings ne- uh, next time. So, all right, very good. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll be back next week. Whenever I say that, I always pause. Like, I didn't forget that I'm not going to be here next week, did I? But no, (laughs) as far as I know, I'll be here next week. Though who knows in this uncertain world. But thanks, everybody. Good night. uh, And we will see you guys next week, I hope. Bye now. Bye, guys.